When I first started out in ministry, I, I went to serve at a church, uh, and my pastor's name was Ron Ferguson, a great guy, and uh, he, he kind of poured his life into me, uh, talked to me a lot about uh, different things about ministry, and, but most importantly, he taught me how to love people. Um, there's other people in my life that have made a big difference in my life as well that, that God has used to pour into my life. But you know, each one of us needs other people in our lives, don't we? Uh, that's one of the reasons I think the body of Christ is so important because God gives us each gifts to minister to others and also ministers to us through the gifts of others. Um, but we need Jesus more than anything else. Jesus is the one who pours into us and who helps us in our Christian walk more than anyone else. Um, and in this scripture that we're going to talk about today, Jesus does something remarkable. Uh, there was a, a task that was considered the task of a servant, that of washing feet. Uh, and uh, I remember one time uh, we, were, we were in youth, I believe, and uh, somebody said, do you all want to wash each other's feet and we said no we don't want to and uh, I don't think that ever happened but uh, but in this case Jesus willingly took the responsibility and the role of a servant uh, he he took off his outer garment wrapped a towel around his waist and then began to with a bowl of water began to go to each sandaled foot that was covered with dust and dirt and mire that stunk, probably, and washed their feet. Peter, when he finally gets around to Peter, says, Lord, you're not going to wash my feet. Jesus said, if I don't wash you, you have no part with me. And Peter said, well, wash my head and my hands also. You know, He said, no, no, you don't need that. You've already been washed. Those who've been washed only need to have their feet washed. And so Jesus says, you don't really understand these things now, but you'll understand them later. So Jesus is talking not just about the physical act of service, although we need to have a servant's heart. Jesus is talking about a spiritual reality that happens uh, through the cleansing work of Jesus Christ in our lives. He cleanses us when we come to faith in Jesus Christ. We are washed from our sin. We're cleansed. And once and for all, that sin is taken care of. Buried in the sea of forgetfulness. As far as the east is from the west. Because Jesus lived the perfect life that we couldn't live. And he died the death of our substitution. To take care of the penalty and the justice of God uh, on our sin. And so um, Jesus did that. And he rose from the dead. And through that work of Jesus on the cross, even before it takes place here, people in the Old Testament, people among Jesus' disciples, as well as the church today, are saved through the blood of Jesus Christ. Uh, nothing but the blood of Jesus washes our sin away. You can't live good enough. You can't perform good enough to get into heaven on your own. You need a gift of grace. And praise God, that's what he gives us. Um, but Jesus said, I'm washing your feet. So in their daily travels, though they were cleansed, they kind of got their feet dirty. They probably showered. Hopefully they showered before they came, right? 
Some of you are thinking, boy, I wish the person next to me had showered before they came today. Uh, but uh, hopefully they're cleansed. And so, but, but they walk out and they travel. And as they travel, they get this dust and stuff from the world on their feet. It's much the same way that when we live the Christian life, as you, you're saved by the blood of Jesus, you're cleansed, but uh, you have interaction with people in the world, right? Uh, the sins of this world kind of kind of stain us. You ever you ever had a, a situation maybe where you were with a group of people and you just felt like afterwards you needed to take a bath? Uh, I remember I used to feel that way in the military. I'd come home uh, hearing, uh, you know, mi- military they know how to cuss with compound cuss words. You know, I don't know how they figured that out, but uh, but they do. And and of course, filthy talk and all of that. And and after hearing that all day long. I just kind of feel like I needed a bath, and I'd come home, and I'd spend time with, with God, and, and God would just, it's like washing me. I didn't need to be saved. I was already saved, but I needed to be refreshed and restored in his presence, and so um, Jesus is talking about that. Also, I think he's talking about the fact that Jesus helps us with our sin. Because we're taught in Scripture that even though we're a new creation in Christ, you make a decision to come to faith in Jesus, you're going to be different. There's a new nature. Uh, We're also taught that we still have an old nature. And that old nature struggles with the new nature. The old nature wants to sin. The new nature wants to do what pleases Christ. And so there's this battle. And we learn to live in victory through the filling of the Holy Spirit. But sometimes we struggle. Some of you may have a struggle going on in your life today. Maybe it's a struggle with sin or a struggle with an attitude or uh, maybe with a, with a grumbling mouth. Uh, I don't know, but, but there's a struggle going on in your life. And I believe Jesus is saying here, uh, I want to help you with the sin problems that you're struggling with in your Christian walk. I want to come and wash that, that stuff away and help you with those issues and problems in your life. And so um, I think that's where Jesus is going with this scripture. And so each of us needs to receive what Jesus wants to do in our lives uh, each and every day. Um, the time of message is the greatness of Jesus' heart. As you see his heart and, and what he does and what he says and how he follows through with what he says... Um, it, I think it'll be a blessing to you. Uh, look with me at verse 1 of John chapter 13. Before the fa- Passover festival, Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart from this world to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Now by the time of supper, the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas, Simon Iscariot's son, to betray him. Jesus knew that the Father had given everything into his hands that he had come from God and that he was going back to God. So he got up from supper, laid aside his robe, and took a towel and tied it around himself. Next he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet and to dry them with a towel tied around him. He came to Simon Peter who said, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus answered him, what I'm doing now you don't understand, but afterward you will know. You will never wash my feet ever, Peter said. Jesus replied, if I don't wash you, you have no part with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not only my feet, but my hands and my head. 
One who has bathed, Jesus told him, doesn't need to wash anything except his feet, but he is completely clean. You are clean, but not all of you, for he knew who would betray him. This is why he said you are not all clean. Then Jesus, when he had washed their feet and put on a robe, he reclined again and said to them, Do you know what I have done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and this is well said, for I am. So if I, your teacher and Lord, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do, just as I have done for you. I assure you, a slave is not greater than his master, and a messenger is not greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. I'm not speaking about all of you. I know those I have chosen, but the scripture must be fulfilled. The one who eats my bread has raised his heel against me. I'm telling you now before it happens so that when it does happen, you will believe that I am he. I assure you, whoever receives anyone I send receives me, and the one who receives me receives him who sent me. When Jesus had said this, he was troubled in his spirit and testified, I assure you, one of you will betray me. The disciples started looking at one another, uncertain of whom he was speaking about. One of his disciples, the one Jesus loved, was reclining close beside Jesus. Simon Peter motioned to him to find out who he was talking about, so he leaned back against Jesus and asked him, Lord, who is it? Jesus replied, he's the one I give the piece of bread to after I've dipped it. When he had dipped the bread, he gave it to Judas, Simon Iscariot's son. After Judas ate the piece of bread, Satan entered him. Therefore, Jesus told him, what you are doing, do quickly. None of those reclining at the table knew why he told him this. Since Judas kept the money bag, some thought Jesus was telling him, buy what we need for the festival, or that he should give something to the poor. After receiving the piece of bread, he went out immediately, and it was night. When he had gone out, Jesus said, now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and will glorify him at once. Children, I am with you a little while longer. You will look for me, just as I told the Jews. Where I am going, you cannot come, so I now tell you. I give you a new command. Love one another just as I have loved you. You must also love one another. By this, all people will know you are my disciples if you have love one for another. Lord Simon Peter said to him, where are you going? Jesus answered, where I'm going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow later. Lord Peter asked, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus replied, will you lay down your life for me? I assure you, a rooster will not crow until you've denied me three times. The greatness of Jesus' heart. What do we learn about Jesus' heart? Well, first of all, we learn of Jesus' knowledge. Jesus' knowledge. If you look through this chapter, you'll see over and over again, Jesus knew, Jesus knew, Jesus knew, Jesus knew. Jesus' knowledge. What did he know? He knew his hour had come. He knew that the time where he would bear the sin of the world had come. That Judas was getting ready to betray him. And that he was going to a cross to bear the wrath and justice of God for our sin. He also knew that Judas would betray him, verse 2 says. Uh, He knew the Father had given everything into his hands, verse 3 says. I I want you to know something. Jesus didn't have to go to the cross. Everything was given into his hands. Jesus went willingly. 
he knew he was going to go back to God, that he'd come from God, was going back to God. He knew the meaning of what he was doing. All of these things are going on. Jesus nods. So what does that tell us about Jesus' heart? Well, one thing, it tells us that Jesus' love was consistent even when things were difficult. Jesus knew Peter was going to deny him. He knew Judas was going to betray him. Matter of fact, he's washing the feet of those who were going to forsake him in the garden. He's washing the feet of Judas who would betray him. He's washing the feet of Peter who would deny him. Jesus knew of their failure before it happened. But he loved them anyway. Aren't you glad we serve a God like that? Um, I want you to know something. You know, sometimes we feel like the devil wants us to believe that if you fail God, don't worry about coming into his presence. Don't worry about trying to live the Christian life. Uh, God's done with you. He's washed his hands with you. That's a lie. Jesus knew what they were going to do. He knew the failure that they were going to have. But scripture tells us he was praying for them. That he was praying that Peter would be restored and that he'd be able to strengthen his brothers afterward. He was serving them. He was involved in their lives. He cared for them. He had a purpose for them. He was teaching them. Even though he knew their failure. Meditate on that a while. That'll that'll get you in shouting ground. Jesus knew all that was going to come. Jesus knew that the most trying Time in his entire life was right around the corner. Have you ever had one of those situations where you just, you were trying to have faith in God, but you're kind of wringing your hands a little bit, and you're, you're worried, and your mind is just kind of going uh, 90 miles an hour, and you're trying to figure stuff out, and uh, maybe you've prayed and found peace, and about uh, 45 minutes later, it all comes back again, you know, and all these worries. Um, I've had that situation in my life when there was a whole lot less going on in my life than there was in Jesus' life. And you know what I found? I tend to be self-focused in those times. Have you ever noticed that? Human nature, I think, is to focus on yourself when you're going through suffering and trouble. Jesus wasn't focused on himself. Jesus was focused on the people he loved. Even in his time of greatest difficulty. I want you to know something. Jesus took on the form of a man and he he lived a life like you and me. He didn't use all of the divine power that he had while he was here on this earth because he wanted to live by faith like you and I. And to be the perfect substitute and live the perfect life in our place in faith in God. But... Don't think for a second that Jesus was unable to handle what faced him. He spent time in the garden for God's enabling. But I want to tell you something. Jesus has risen from the dead. And now, as the resurrected king, he's exalted at the right hand of the, God, of, of the Father. And he lives in exalted fullness of power. There's nothing that can happen in Washington, D.C. or anywhere else in this world that will cause Jesus to break a sweat. 
There's nothing that will make him wring his hands. There's nothing that will make him anxious. Why? Because he is the one who holds the universe together by his power. Jesus knows everything. I remember a few years back, I was watching, I like superhero movies. I was watching um, a Superman movie. And it shows him up sleeping in the sky. And he is, he's hearing all of these voices and all these things from, from the world below. And it's like, it, it overwhelm you. It, it just would be, be amazing to try to have to, to process and deal with it. Every cry of every distressed person, every uh, crime that was taking place, everything all over the world was, was being heard by him. Now, I know that's fictitious, but that's exactly what Jesus hears. He hears everything, but never does it take his eyes off of you. Jesus heart is fixed upon us. Uh, Psalm 139, one of my favorite psalms, um, David is t- in, in Scripture is talking about how God, he says, he, he cares for him. Lord, you have beset me behind and before. You set your hand upon me. If I, if I go up to the highest mountain, you're there. If I go to the depths of sea, the sea, you're there. You knit me together in my mother's wombs. My, my days are written in your book. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, Lord. Um, How awesome are your thoughts toward me. How vast is the sum of them. If I were to count them, they're more uh, more than the grains of sand. When I'm awake, you're still with me. Isn't that a beautiful thought? That's God's heart toward you and me. His eyes are upon us. Jesus loves you. And he has perfect knowledge of everything about your life, and he loves you anyway. So you see the greatness of Jesus' heart. So so what should we do about that? Well, first of all, rest in his love. Rest in the fact that, I love what Galatians says, it's for freedom that he set us free. In other words, Jesus paid this price on the cross so that you could enjoy freedom. So that you could come to the throne boldly. So that you could rest in the presence and unconditional love of God. Rest in it. Trust that Jesus will love you no matter what comes in your life. Whatever circumstance, whatever failure. Also, live for him. One that loves us like that deserves our heart. He deserves our service. He deserves our life. So... The greatness of Jesus' heart. What do we learn? We learn about Jesus' knowledge. Secondly, we learn about Jesus' love. We learn about Jesus' love. Verse 1 says, Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Now, the word end can be translated in a couple different ways. Uh, He loved them to the full extent that you could love. There's one way you could look at that. Or he loved them to the end. In other words, all the way up to the cross, he was loving them. But the idea is that his love was complete. Uh, Later on, Jesus encourages them to love each other because he had loved them. But look at verse 6. Lord, are you going to wash my feet? 
Jesus said, what I'm doing you don't understand now, but afterward you will know. In other words, Peter, this is significant. Peter went in one ear and out the other. (laughs) You're never going to wash my feet. If I don't wash you, you have no part with me. Aren't you glad that when we resist the call to salvation, that God doesn't give up on us? Aren't you glad? It took me a year. I, I, I think I'd have washed my hands of myself, you know, uh, a long time before. God was patient, a whole lot more patient than I would have been. Um, then he, he, he's explaining the fact that Jesus says, you don't need anybody to wash your feet if you've been bathed. Verse 10, but he's, he's completely clean. You're clean, but not all of you. In other words, Judas, he knew Judas was a phony. Did you know there's phonies in the church? Uh, people, people from time to time will tell me, well, somebody in the church did me wrong. And I respond, that's nothing new. And they, they usually they look at me funny. And, but it's not. Ever since biblical days, there have been phonies. Wolves in sheep's clothing, one scripture calls them. Judas was a phony, but nobody knew it. Nobody perceived it. Uh, there was 12 men, and Jesus said, one of you is going to betray me. And, and they're like, who is it? Who is it? No, no I said, I knew Judas was going to do that. I knew it. None of, them, none of them said that. They said, is it me? Judas was a phony. And so, um, Jesus... Jesus had that knowledge of that, uh, and so he says, I, I'm, I'm saying you're not all clean, you're not all saved, but some of you, most of you are, the 11 of the 12 are, and he says all you need is confession. What is confession? Well, confession is when we agree with God about our sin. We say the same thing about our sin that God says about it. Lord, I sinned when I fill in the blank. That's confession. Uh, and what, the, what 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So what Jesus does, what you say, well, I thought we were already forgiven. We were. Okay? Once you're saved, you're saved. There's, that doesn't have to be repeated. But the forgiveness he's talking about here is not the forgiveness of position. It's the forgiveness of relationship. In other words... When I'm saved, I'm a child of God, and that's never going to change. However, my fellowship with God can change. And just like when, when you're in your family, you, you fight with a parent, or you fight with a spouse, you're still in relationship with that person, but the fellowship is broken, right? You don't stop being a son or a daughter because you fight with your parents, right? Right? But the fellowship can be broken. Same thing is true with our relationship with God. And so to restore that fellowship, we confess our sins. And the Bible says he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So that forgiveness is the restoration of fellowship. So that's what Jesus does when you come to him with your sin. He helps you restore the fellowship. But then he also cleanses us from all unrighteousness. Now, I want to dwell there for just a second because this is one of the greatest demonstrations of God's love that you can imagine. When we come with our sin and our rebellion and our wickedness 
and our evil, some of the things that we shrug off as nothing that big a deal, is evil to God. When we come with that, Jesus says, not only will I restore your fellowship, but I'll help you deal with the problem. I'll get down in the smelliness and the dirtiness of who you are, and I'll cleanse you and fix you and make you new. Meditate on that a while. Because I want you to know, that is a profound truth. And a lot of people don't, don't know that. And if they know it, maybe down deep in their heart, they don't believe it. How would God, who is pure and holy and righteous, stoop to come to me in my sin to help me with my sin problem? Because that's who he is. He loves you. And there's nothing that we could do that would ever shock him because he knows about it in advance. And there's no filthiness that he is not willing to come alongside us, be our companion, and wash us from what we're doing. I want you to know something. Jesus is the author and finisher of our faith. He's the one who gets it started. He he sends his Holy Spirit to draw us to faith. He sends his word to convince us of the truth. Um, And and he, he, he draws us and gives us the ability to place our faith in him, to repent of our sin, and to receive salvation. But his enabling power doesn't stop there. He is with us every day of our lives to help us become the person that God wants us to be. I love what it says in Philippians. He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. I'm so glad that Jesus is not intimidated to get his hands dirty to help us out. That's his love. And the willingness of his call to Judas, even in the midst of betrayal, Jesus is giving Judas his a chance to repent. As he washed his feet. For Judas, it, it had no spiritual significance because he wasn't a believer, but Jesus is reaching out to him and he's saying, Look, this is what you could have if you trust in me. Uh, so, <clears throat> Jesus' knowledge rests rest in the fact that Jesus loves you in unconditional love. And serve him. Jesus' love rests in the fact that Jesus is the author and finisher of your faith. And that he will come into the dark places of your life to help you overcome your sin. He'll teach you how to walk in the filling of the Holy Spirit. So that you can live a victorious life. And then thirdly. The greatness of Jesus' heart, what is revealed? Jesus' glory. Jesus' knowledge, Jesus' love, and Jesus' glory. Look at verse 31. When he had gone out, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and will glorify him at once. He's saying, what in the world is that talking about? Jesus knew what was coming. He knew his hour had come, as verse 1 says. The glory 
was the cross. And Jesus knew that in that, the cross was meant to be an instrument of shame, but for Jesus it was an instrument of glory. At the cross, you'd be, you'd be placed up where people could see you, usually alongside a roadway. The idea what the Romans had in, in the crucifixions was to be an intimidation, but also to include mockery in the death that was so painful. And so they would usually strip them. Eat, they might have a, a loincloth or something on, but sometimes they were stripped naked. And they were placed up on this cross and, and in front of everybody so that they could be mocked and ridiculed and scorned. And, and it was, it was a, a thing of great shame. But for Jesus, it was a thing of great glory. Why? Well, because what was happening on the outside, you couldn't see what was happening in spiritual places. Jesus was accomplishing a spiritual work. And the Bible says in Colossians, he defeated the devil. He put his enemies on public display on the cross. He defeated our sin and the consequences of it and the power of it at the cross. He washed away our sin at the cross. What had been broken in the Garden of Eden. When Adam and Eve took of the fruit that they were forbidden to take. And the relationship with God was broken. Jesus at the cross brought God with one hand and man with the other hand together. Once again in relationship and reconciled them through the cross. God showed his justice at the cross. Because Jesus took the penalty for our sins. God showed his wrath at the cross Because Jesus took it for us in our place. It showed God's holiness. It showed God's justice. And and it showed God's love. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit had eternal fellowship in eternity past. But Isaiah 53 says about Jesus, it was God's will. It pleased him to crush him. Why? Because of his love for you and me. That's the glory of the cross. There's no love like that in this world. The glory of the cross is that the one who is the king of the ages willingly clothed himself with flesh to suffer in this sin-sick world and ultimately go to a cross because of his love for you and me. That's a glorious thing. And one day... John, in his vision, he, he saw this day when uh, God's plan to wrap up things at the, at the end of the world will start to take place. And they'll need somebody to open a scroll. And John says in his vision, I, I looked everywhere. I could find no one who could open the scroll. But then I said, someone said, look, there's the lamb. The line of the tribe of Judah, speaking of Jesus Christ, the lamb that was slain. He is worthy to take the scroll. Because he has redeemed men from every tribe and every nation. He is worthy. That's the glory of the cross. There's no one worthy like my Savior. And one day when when we receive the rewards for the things that we've done for Christ in this life, 
the Bible says we're going to take those crowns and we're going to cast them at the feet of Jesus. Why? Because no one is worthy like he is. That's the glory of the cross. And of course, God put his seal of approval uh, uh, on the cross with the resurrection. See, Jesus' glory was accomplished at the cross. And you see his heart. Some people praise the power of an individual, a weightlifter, a football player, a basketball player, right? Some people praise the wisdom of men, and they talk of the brilliance of this person or that person. Uh, Some people uh, talk about all these things, and people have all these different kinds of heroes, but I heard one... uh, one little teenage girl share, when somebody asked her, who, who's your hero? She said, she said, my hero is my dad. She said, he gets up and goes to work every day and works hard to provide for his family. He's good to us. He loves us. And, he, and she began to talk about the character of her dad and what a great, great person he was. And, and um, the man said, yeah. He said, I think you're right. That's a hero. Well, see, you could praise Jesus for his power because he holds the universe together. You could praise Jesus for his wisdom because by his wisdom he fashioned everything. You could praise Jesus for his his control over all of the universe because the Bible speaks of that. But what is the greatest thing about Jesus is none of those things. The greatest thing is his heart. That's the glory of the cross. May we never get over what Jesus has done for us. There's a song that says, Lord, forbid it, Lord, that I should boast except in the cross of Jesus, my God. That's what we need to glory in. That's that's how we need to live our life, for his glory. And when we're, when we're discouraged and when we're downcast, we need to remember the heart of our Savior who knows us perfectly and loves us anyway. Who loves us so much he's willing to get down into the dirt and the grit and the brokenness of our lives and help us with it. And he loves us so profoundly that he's willing to go to a cross and turn shame into glory. His glory becomes my glory when I put my faith in Jesus. The Bible says that our shame has been taken away through Jesus. If you put your your trust in Christ, he's taken away your shame. There's a song that says, my sin, oh the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, oh my soul. Um, Remember Jesus' glory that covers your shame. The greatest and the greatness of Jesus' heart. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for how it ministers to us and, and reminds us of your involvement in our lives. And thank you, Jesus, For knowing who I am and loving me anyway.
Thank you, Jesus, for coming to me in my brokenness and restoring me and helping me. Thank you, Jesus, though the weight was great, that you willingly chose to take the nails, the crown of thorns, the justice, the wrath of God upon yourself for me. I honor you and I worship you this morning. Help us live for you.